After the sermon, let us sing from Psalter number 204, number 204 after the sermon. Dear congregation, sometimes it doesn't take much for misunderstandings to arise. Parents can misunderstand their children. Children can misunderstand their parents. Teachers can misunderstand their students, and students can misunderstand their teachers. Misunderstandings can arise at home, at school, at church, at at work. I mean, imagine at work. Someone tries to show kindness to his coworker and offers to help him with something relating to his work. But the co-worker interprets the offer for help to mean you don't really think he can do his job. It's easy for us to misunderstand people, events, providence, especially difficult providences. And that's how it is for Jacob, as he says in the words of our text, all these things are against me. And it was very real for Jacob, and it might be very real for you too, because you don't understand God's way in your life and in providence. That's why we want to listen to this subject tonight misunderstanding difficult providences. That's what you can write over the sermon. Misunderstanding difficult providences. We'll see three things. First of all, what is seen at the time. Secondly, what is known later. And thirdly, what is planned from the beginning. Misunderstanding difficult providences. First of all, what is seen at the time. Secondly, what is known later. And thirdly, what is planned from the beginning. Bad things rarely happen alone. How often has it not happened? It can be that Grandpa becomes seriously sick. He's always helped here and there, and now he's seriously ill. And then one of your children is in an accident... Not maybe a serious accident, but nonetheless the accident shakes you too. And then there's trouble at work. Maybe you had seen it coming, or maybe it's unexpected. But bad things rarely happen alone. That was how it was for Job in all his losses and in all his crosses. And that's how it is for Jacob too in Genesis 42 that he says in despair, all these things are against me. How did Jacob come to this complaint? Well, let's look at that. Sometime after Joseph has been sold by his brothers into Egypt, a famine breaks out in the land of Canaan and in the surrounding nations. And a famine cannot be easy, especially as chapter 41, verse 57 says that it was severe. And the family of Jacob is not exempt from this famine, and 
They're not exempt from being on this verge of starvation unless there are provisions for them. But they heard that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob has sent his ten sons there to buy provisions for his family. Benjamin, the youngest, is kept home, and the brothers return back with grain and provisions. Their trip was a reasonable success in that they return with their donkeys and with grain that could sustain them for a few weeks. But something happened while they were there. They tell what happened to their father Jacob, how they met this governor in Egypt who did not make it easy for them. He has accused them of being spies. They try to explain that they were no spies. They try to explain that they were sons of one father and how they had a brother who was back home and, sadly, another brother who wasn't with them anymore. But this governor was suspicious. And finally, he said that he would only believe them if they returned the next time to Egypt with their youngest brother, Benjamin. And then on top of that, when they had opened their bags of grain, the money that they had used to pay for the grain was at the top of their bags. And this Egyptian governor seems not only ready to execute them for being spies, but also to execute them for being thieves. And... When Jacob hears how this all went, he is broken. He's lost his wife, Rachel. Joseph is gone. He's been grieving for him already for 20 years. And now this? What his sons have told him about what happened in Egypt and about this governor did not sound favorable at all. And the idea that they would have to take their youngest brother Benjamin along, the only remaining son of his favorite wife Rachel, it would be too painful to have to give him up. He doesn't see how this can turn out good at all, that he accuses them of bereaving him of his children. First Joseph, now Simeon, who's in prison in Egypt, and later Benjamin. And that's the last straw that makes the situation unbearable to Jacob, that with grief and sorrow he utters these words, all these things are against me. And it can be that you recognize something of this from your own life. Maybe one trial after another trial. For children of God can have days and times like this when everything seems to go wrong and there are so many disappointments in life. Things haven't gone the way you'd hoped and you're disappointed in your work and you're disappointed in your co-workers and you're troubled by all that's happened in your family and all that's happened in the church, and all that's happening in the world. And while others seem to have it all together, 
you don't. And maybe you're disappointed in your life of faith. I mean, before your faith did something to you, before you used to receive encouragement from the Word of God, you used to be strengthened to go on by the Word of God, but now, not anymore. And you have more questions in your spiritual life and difficulties than you have answers. And praying, yeah, you don't seem to know how to do that anymore either. And it seems like everything is against you. Your sickness, your family situation, your troubles at work, your troubles at home, your difficulties. And you understand Jacob when he says, all these things are against me. And Jacob, friends, is not making this up. Jacob is not exaggerating here. His circumstances were very discouraging, and his life had become difficult, and his future did look bleak. It seems indeed as if everything is against him. And Christians, too, are not exempt from such losses and crosses. And Believers, too, have to live with heartache, and we have to live with troubles in life and burdens and Trials which sometimes go on and on, and they don't seem to go away. And we can find ourselves crippled by what we don't know. And the pathway isn't easy, and it's dark, and it's difficult. And like Jacob, we can be brought to despair. And the reason is, because we're looking at ourselves. We're taken up with ourselves. Me, myself, and I. My situation, my trouble. I mean, in the Hebrew, the word order in these few words is this. Against me is everything. Jacob, you see, is busy with himself and is focused on himself and is full of pity for himself. And how different when faith is in exercise, for when faith is in exercise, then we focus on the Lord and who the Lord is and what the Lord does and what the Lord gives, then we're centered on Him. But when unbelief grips us, then we're focused on ourselves. Unbelief really at bottom in the life of God's people makes us self-centered people fills us with self-pity. We feel sorry for ourselves because we're centered on us and our circumstances. Why is it always me? Why do these things always happen to me? Why this trouble in my life? And Asaph asked that. Psalm 73 why does it go so well with the wicked while I daily chase and see troubles increase? What deep ways 
Do I have to go, Jacob says. Yes, Jacob, this man who was a prince in his wrestling with the angel of the Lord, that his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. The man who insisted when they returned to Bethel that his household put away the idols from them, and he built instead an altar because, as Genesis 35 says it, verse 3, God answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. There the Lord had stood in focus. There the Lord had been central. But now Jacob is focused on himself, centered on himself. I have lost so much. My way is so hard. Everything is against me. And that's how we can complain. And some may complain that they're always more lonely than anyone else and more troubled than anyone else, and have it more difficult than anyone else, and the Lord leads you in such trying ways, and we are so consumed with ourselves and our circumstances, and that's how we are burdened, and we're almost brought to despair, and we forget the Lord's goodness to us. As one writer put it, the mercies of a lifetime are often ignored by the bitterness of a single trial. The mercies of a lifetime are often ignored by the bitterness of a single trial. Now, I don't want to minimize the bitterness of a single trial. I don't want to minimize the real difficulties and struggles that we have in our lives of multiple trials sometimes, but the trouble is we only see what we see at the time. But there's more to see, and there's more to know. And that's our second point. Not only what is seen at the time, but what is known later. That's our second point, what is known later. What Jacob saw at the time was not the whole story. What we see at the time is not the whole story. With hindsight, we see that Jacob was mistaken, that everything is not against you, Jacob. It may be hard to believe. It may be impossible to see. But everything is in your favor, Jacob. God is going to bless you, Jacob. You're going to live and not die, even though the way seems hard and the burden is great and the trials seem many, but it's by way of this famine and all these hardships that the Lord is going to bring them to Egypt and to Joseph, who will provide for them and, yes, bless them. What's, what's happening here? At least two things. Uh, for one thing, the Lord is at work to change Jacob's sons. The Lord is at work to change Jacob's sons. Jacob may not have known all that his sons have done. The wickedness that they have con conceived and the sinful things that they have done. Maybe Jacob has his suspicions. Fathers are usually not so blind as they sometimes seem, young people. But Jacob, 
even though he may not know all that they have done, these brothers have not been the kindest men. These brothers have been wicked men. They've been violent men. Two of them saw to it that the Shechemites were put to death. The ten of them saw to it that Joseph was sold into Egypt. But the Lord is going to change them. The Lord is going to bring these sons of his to repentance. And we see the beginning of it in this chapter. For they come before Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph does recognize them. And what will he do? Having recognized his brothers, will he say, It's me, Joseph! Come, let me embrace you. No, he doesn't reveal himself to them. Not yet. He wants, them to, he wants to know if they have any sorrow for what they have done. And so he tests them. He accuses them of being spies. Accuses them of inspecting the land for ulterior motives. The, the Egyptians were known for being afraid of invasions from other nations. And, and Joseph accuses them of being spies and he imprisons them just as... They had imprisoned him some 20 years earlier in a pit and had accused him of being a spy and a tattletale. And that's how he wants to reach into the consciences of his brothers to bring about conviction of sin. And blessed by the Spirit, it works. For in verse 21, Joseph overhears them confessing their guilt for what they've done to Joseph and how they heard his distressful cries and how he pled for his life, but they turned a deaf ear and ignored his cries. That's why they say this distress has come upon us. According to verse 21, they say that in verse 28, when they find the money, their hearts sank and they ask. Yes, this is what they ask. What is this that God has done unto us? They could have complained about the injustice of this governor. They could have said how he was treating them unfairly and accusing them. But instead, they're focused on what is God doing to us? How is God dealing with us? And how God is confronting us? It's the first time that these brothers of Joseph have spoken about God in the book of Genesis. That's how the Lord is convicting them. That's how He is taking them back some years. That's how He is reminding them of their sin. And maybe they had tried to forget it, blot it out of the memory, but they remember. And their consciences are awakened, and their sins are brought to remembrance. And friends, the Lord doesn't owe that to us. But can He not do that still? Change us. Can He not take a broken family and heal it? Can He not change our children through difficult providences? Can He not bring our children to repentance, uh, 
reflecting on who they've been and what they've done and so awakened to their sins and changed them. That's what the Lord is doing. He's at work to change Jacob's sons. And the Lord is going to do more. For not only is he bringing them to recognize God's way in their lives and the trouble of sin in their lives, but he's going to bring them to love each other. These brothers are going to show true, genuine care for each other. And while they were jealous before, jealous of Joseph and maybe jealous of Benjamin, these sons of Rachel whom Jacob seem to treat as favorites, they're not jealous anymore. We find them willing to die for one another. Judah will step forward when Benjamin should be taken, and Judah will say, I will be surety for him. I'll take his place. And they're prepared to care for their aged father. There is love in the family now. Care among the brothers now. And Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant is the sight when brethren make it their delight to dwell in blessed accord. These sons of Jacob had not shown that love before, that care before, but the Lord will work it, and the Lord will give it. All these things are bringing this to pass. The Lord is at work to change Jacob's sons. The second thing the Lord is at work to do is to bring him to Joseph's arms. The Lord is at work not only to change Jacob's sons, but to bring him to Joseph's arms. Jacob doesn't realize that it is about to happen, that he is about to be brought to Joseph. But for Jacob to be brought to Joseph, the Lord first wants to take away If Jacob will have Joseph, he must let go of Benjamin. Now, Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go, but the Lord does want Benjamin to be let go by Father Jacob. Friends, sometimes the thing that we don't want to let go in our lives the Lord has to take away from our lives so that we're left with nothing that can make us afraid in the depths of our heart that can fill us with doubt and fear. As Asaph says in Psalm 77, will the Lord cast off forever ties of covenant friendship sever? Will He show His grace no more as He did in days of yore? It seems to go in such a different way than I had expected, you may say. And maybe you wrestle in prayer, and it seems as if the Lord doesn't seem to hear you. But we forget that in order to save our life, we need to lose our life. Mark 8.35. And we don't want to lose this in our life, and we don't want to lose that in our life. And we can't let go of our little Benjamin. 
If God takes him away, I don't know what I would do. Is this what the Lord would have us do? It seems as if everything is against Jacob, but is it true, Jacob? Are all these things really against you, Jacob? I mean, remember he had to flee from Esau because of his, his own trickery and his own deceit. But then, instead of having the Lord against him, remember, Jacob, the Lord was with you, and you came to Bethel, and there was a ladder at Bethel, and the Lord spoke to you from His holy majesty, and He spoke His promise to you that He would be with you. And when you were in Paddan Aram, and you received so much, Jacob, and when you returned, there was an army of angels who protected you. And when Jacob wrestled with the Lord, He blessed you. I know the way hasn't always been so easy. Also for some of you. True believers even. People who have known what the Lord has done for them in their lives haven't always been at peace with the way of the Lord. Even after He revealed Himself in His grace and in His salvation, and He spoke to your heart. Did you dare to say, in those very trying times, all these things are against me? When He has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Or do you know better than the Lord? Do you know better of what He should do in your life and how He should lead your life and how He should direct your life? Don't you realize that all these things are meant to bring you to humble yourself before the Lord and to exercise you in the faith. And we are not living by His Word, and we're going against the Lord. All these things are not against you, Jacob, but you are against all these things. That would be saying it better. Because you don't receive all these things out of God's hand when these things are for your good, for these things will bring you to Joseph. And then we have to lose everything else in which we trust. We have to lose everything in which we hope. Jacob has to lose his Benjamin. Saul of Tarsus has to lose his own righteousness so that we come at last to the greater than Joseph. He's the one whom we need so much. And that's why the Lord takes away, takes this away, takes that away, sometimes even takes a loved one away, family members, so that we would come to the greater than Joseph, the great governor, the merciful and gracious Jesus. We have to let Benjamin go so that we come into the arms of Joseph, Do you know this? Has He done this in your life? 
maybe in that way of great trial and affliction, and I don't want to minimize the trial and affliction. I mean, maybe you've said all these things are against me, but later it turns out that it wasn't so. Misunderstanding difficult providences. First of all, what is seen at the time. Secondly, what is known later. And thirdly, what was planned from the beginning. A providence. Sometimes it has been compared to a tapestry. The front is beautiful, but the back side of the tapestry looks all confused and jumbled and disorganized. How is it possible that the one side looks so beautiful and the back side looks so disorganized? Well, because there is a designer who has been designing that piece of tapestry and has made that piece of tapestry. And John Flavel made this comparison. He said, Providence is like a curious piece of tapestry made of a thousand shreds which single appear useless, but put together they represent a beautiful history to the eye. That's how it is here. What the Lord is doing in Jacob's life is not because of chance, but because the Father is working out everything in accordance to the purpose of His will. And Jacob should have known that. After all, Joseph had those dreams, remember, boys and girls? The first dream was of the sheaves of his brothers gathered around his sheaf and bowed down before his sheaf. Now that dream has been fulfilled. That has happened. The brothers have come and have bowed before Joseph. But there was a second dream in which the sun and moon and the eleven stars bowed before him. And that's why Joseph began a process to bring Benjamin to Egypt and then Jacob to Egypt. Jacob has forgotten. Jacob has forgotten the promise of God made at Bethel too that the Lord would be with him and keep him wherever he went. The Lord would not leave him till the Lord had done everything he had spoken of to Jacob. Genesis 28 verse 15. Jacob has forgotten the word of the Lord. Jacob has forgotten the promise of the Lord. But the Lord has not forgotten his own word. And the Lord has not forgotten his own promise. And while Jacob's sons bear the guilt for what they did to Joseph. And what they did to Joseph was evil. And they meant it for evil. Yet Joseph would later on say, God meant it for good. That is exactly what God had planned to do for Jacob and for Joseph and for everyone who loves him. And all these things which seem to be against you, which may be very difficult and hard to take, and I can understand that, but He can turn it to your profit so that all things work together for good to those that love God. And while you may feel everything is against you, dear believer, and you may feel lonely, and you may feel tired, and you may be fearful, and you may be weak, and you may be full of sin, and you may be full of guilt, but the gospel says...
If God be for us, who can be against us? And if we see that anywhere, we see that in the greater than Joseph, what he endured seemed so terrible, and everything was against him. I mean, the law was against him. The people were against him. His disciples turned from him. The Father in heaven was against him. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If anyone knew what it was for everything to be against him, it was Jesus. And he endured it so that troubled souls like Jacob... Troubled souls like you and I sometimes in all the trials of life and in all the assaults of faith may nonetheless be assured if God be for us, who can be against us? And the answer is nothing and no one. Yes, God should be against us. That's what we deserve through our sins in our fallen Adam, and in our own lives, because we haven't lived for His glory, and we have been so self-centered and so filled with self-pity. But God wants to be for us through Christ. That's why He gave His Son up to the death of the cross to bear the punishment. And people cried away with Him and crucify Him so that He might bring about reconciliation and forgiveness also for our sins. And our unbelief, so that we learn to lose ourselves and give everything over and surrender at His feet, having nothing left but God and God alone. And if we don't know His love, and if we don't trust His grace, yeah, then, then everything is against us. If we don't know His love and trust His grace, then everything is against us. And what a dreadful thing that is. Everything is against you if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is against you if you're not a Christian. It's not just that the bad things are against you, but the good things are against you, the things that you now enjoy, the things that you now appreciate, but they're against you. Adversity is against you, but prosperity is against you too. For all the good things that He gives you adds to your guilt and to the punishment that you deserve because you don't love the one who gives all these good gifts, and you don't trust Him for all His goodness, and you don't thank Him, and you don't return to Him in repentance and faith. And if God is against you, my unconverted friend, then it doesn't matter who is for you. You may have all the lawyers who are for you, but it won't matter on the great day of judgment. God was against Belshazzar, and he thought he was safe there in Babylon, but God was against him. And God was against Haman, 
And then it doesn't matter who was for Haman, because if God is against you, you can only lose. But if you come into God's favor through trust in God's Son, then God is for you. And He is favorable towards you. And He receives you. And if God is for you, favorable to you, who can be against you? That's why I need to lose everything so that I come to the arms of Jesus. How? Maybe you say, I can't. No, but He can do it because He's purchased the life-giving Spirit through His life and death, and the Spirit gives life, and the Spirit gives grace, and He can see to it that we lose everything and come to the greater than Joseph and fall into His arms. You can ask Him for that. Can He not do that? Young people, what difficult providences will it take in your life? What things will you experience? What losses, crosses will you go through? What loved one will be taken from you? What heartache will you have to suffer? But can He not lead you in His way, the way of faith and the way of repentance? Then we don't want to be saved by those things that we now are clinging unto. Then we don't want to be saved by our Benjamins. Then we want to be saved by the greater than Joseph. I know you can be burdened tonight. You, you might be struggling. But He can lift the darkness. He can show you His promise. He can let you know He hasn't forgotten you. But He will hold on to you and guide you with His counsel through windy's vale and stormy seas, but He won't let you go, holding your hand, guiding you with His counsel, and afterward receive you to glory. Amen. We sing number 204.